Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. We we're in uh, John chapter eighteen. We're going to start. We're going to read the last couple of verses where we left off last week. So John uh, eighteen verse thirty nine. We're going to read all the way to nineteen verse uh, chapter nineteen verse sixteen. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> all right. Let me read these verses for us. Starting in uh, chapter 18, verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again to the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement. But in Hebrew, it's Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... This morning, Father, we pray that you will be our teacher this morning. Father, we thank you uh, that we have uh, your word here before us this morning. And Father, we ask that you bless this time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here we see the Jews are given a choice. Uh, their choice is to, uh, to spare their Messiah, the spotless Lamb of God, or they could win the release of a terrorist. It was custom during uh, the Passover uh, for the Roman governor in Judea to release a prisoner. So Pilate said to the people here in verse 39, he says, but you have a custom that I should release someone to you at the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release you to king of the Jews? Now Pilate here, remember he's already said he has finds no fault with this man. So what Pilate's trying to do is give them an opportunity to do the right thing. He's trying to give them the opportunity to do the right thing. But they would have uh, none of that. And John 
continues in verse 40, the first half of verse 40 says, Then they all cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. And then John tells us uh, this uh, little detail about Barabbas. What we know about Barabbas is, well, their choice is what? They choose an evil man over, and, con- and they condemn an innocent man. That's, that's where the Jews are looking at this thing. Now the second half of verse 40 says, John tells us that Barabbas was a robber. Um, in the other Gospels, we learn that his, because that sounds kind of, okay, he's just a robber. He's just a common thief. Well, based on the other Gospels, we learn that his crimes were more serious than that. It's not just a simple petty theft kind of thing. Uh, he had committed robbery, but he'd also committed murder in the course of a rebellion that he led against Rome. Uh, we find some details over in Mark 15 and over in Luke 23. So basically, Barabbas was a terrorist. So it's a, I mean, we have modern day terrorists. We understand what that is, right? It's not just a common thief. This man is a terrorist. Now, on for the people of Israel, the Jews, the chief priests and the scribes hated terrorists. Okay, they, so they, especially when they were from their own people, because Barabbas was from their own people. But yet, given, given the choice between Jesus, who has done nothing wrong, and this notorious terrorist, okay, their, their, their hatred of Jesus was so great that they asked for Barabbas instead. According to tradition, uh, his name, his full name was Jesus Barabbas. Uh, the name Barabbas can mean and probably did mean son of the father. So we see here the people ask for the, re- for the release, uh, or excuse me, instead of asking for the release of Jesus, who is the true son, right, capital S, of the Father, capital F, um, they, they ask for uh, this, this other Jesus, Barabbas, who is also a son of a father, little s, little f. So let's move on into chapter 19. Verse 1, it says, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, there were three types of scourging in the Roman system. The first type is the lesser type. It was more like a whipping. Um, it was painful, okay? It was painful, but it was not debilitating. Uh, people who committed minor crimes were whipped, this first type of scourging. Uh, there was a, a second level of scourging that was more severe, and even the third level was even more severe. But the third level, this, this, the, the, the most serious form of scourging, was only uh, used, or is not used until a prisoner was sentenced to death. So this is the most serious type of scourging. This, this third type, if you've heard uh, people talk about this. This was um, administered with a leather a leather whip, a leather thong that was embedded with pieces of metal, sharp pieces of metal, and even bone. Okay, very jagged pieces of metal. And the if you've seen uh, depictions of this, uh, basically they would um, a, a prisoner would be bent over, exposing their middle section, and and the whip would come uh, it would it would come around their body. They would pull it back, and the the shards would come across your flesh and just tear flesh. It was, it was brutal. 
Okay, it's, it, it's brutal. The, the, the victims of this type of scourging, um, they were scourged most times until their bones were showing. Okay, to even that their entrails were exposed. This is how serious the, the, the flesh is just literally torn apart. Okay. Now, the idea of this type of scourging was to beat them literally half to death. Okay, to beat them literally half to death. So that what? So that the execution on the cross went faster. That's the reason. John tells us that, uh, here in John's account, he tells us that the scourging happened before Pilate sentenced him to die. But Matthew and Mark talk about the scourging happening later in the process. Now, before you think, well, there's a contradiction here, you know, hold on, there's no contradiction in the Bible. Uh, in all probability, there were two scourgings, okay? Uh, the first scourging was probably uh, the lightest type, uh, per- perhaps um, uh, this particular scourging we read about here in John, this was probably um, the last ditch effort of Pilate uh, to satisfy the crowd. Okay, so that so that he could avoid condemning an innocent man. Remember, Pilate knows he's innocent, so he's he's trying to maybe I'll give him something. Maybe this will satisfy them. I'll, I'll have him scourged. I, you know, I don't want to. He, he's not shouldn't be crucified. I have no reason to crucify him. So maybe this will satisfy him or satisfy the Jews. Verses 2 and 3 says, And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Now many artists over the years, as Dr. Sproul points out, have attempted to capture uh, some of the agony that was produced or caused by this crown of thorns. And maybe you've seen some artist depictions of this. Maybe you've seen, I think, um, in one of our, uh, do we still have, a, we have something like that that we use sometime on the, yeah, we do. Okay, we still have one, so I thought. So we have one here that we use here in church. But the, the issue with that is few of those, the artist uh, uh, renditions of this, few of them are accurate. The reason is the thorns, okay, of the vine that they used had uh, spikes, and some of the spikes could reach up to 12 inches long. A 12 inches long spike. So this, this mass of thorns, okay, was shoved down on top of his head so that, so that the thorns were driven into his temples, the very temples of his head. And all this was for the sport. Because this is not part of the scourging. This is not part of the crucifixion. This is something extra, right? This is something that the soldiers are doing. They're mocking him. Okay, this is for their sport. They're just doing it to make fun of Jesus. So after they make this, this crown, they mocked him even further. They threw over him a purple robe, which we know purple is the color of royalty. And then they... They made fun of him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they did what? They took turns slapping him in the face. This was, this was all done to mock Jesus, to demean Jesus, okay, to, to just deny his humanity. All these things were done just to, to, to do that. 
So after this, Jesus was taken back to Pilate. Verse 4 and 5, said Pilate went out again, and he said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate's, uh, then Jesus came out, a, wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So this has happened. We don't know exactly how much time is passing here. But, but now, in the shape that Jesus is in, we can assume that he is, he's been scourged. His, his body is, is severely torn. Uh, now he's, he's brought in front of the people. He's paraded in front of them. He's wearing this crown of thorns which have spikes upwards to a foot long. And he's got this purple robe on. And so Jesus, uh, Pilate brings him out. And in this state, and shows him to the people. Here, here's, here's Jesus. And then, then Pilate gives that phrase that has come down throughout church history, right? This phrase that we all know, behold the man. Now, we can't possibly know exactly what Pilate was thinking when he said this. It, it may be that he was saying this. When he said, behold the man, he's basically saying, he could be saying, look at his humiliation. Look at him. Look at this guy. How, how can anyone, how can any of you Jews perceive this man as a threat? It looks like a clown. Isn't, isn't that enough? Let's, let's be done with this. Let's put this away. It's not a threat. That's, that's what, it's kind of what behind um, it could be, right? We don't know for sure, but what could be behind what Pilate was trying to do? But even that, if, if that's what he had in mind, if remember, Pilate finds no reason for him, even if that's what he had in mind, Pilate could not escape this invisible hand of providence who is work, that is working in this very moment. So whatever Pilate was thinking, he, he, he's Presenting him, how in the world can you be afraid of this man? He is, look, look at him. Uh, whatever his intent was, it had very little impact on this mob of angry Jews, this hate-filled crowd. And John notes here in verse 6a, the first part of verse 6, he says, John tells us, Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. They did what the people did what Pilate said. They looked at him. They said, Behold the man. They did. They looked at him. But the sight of Jesus in this humiliated state, this torn state, this with this crown, this robe, this flesh all beaten, it didn't satisfy him. Instead, they cried out for his death. And by this time, Pilate is extremely frustrated with these people. He's trying to find a way to get out of this. And so finally he says here in the second half of verse 6, Pilate says, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Now Pilate knew, he knows the law, right? We've talked about this. They don't, he knows that the Jews don't have the authority to crucify him. So he really couldn't just hand him over to them to do it. But he was 
frustrated. Pilate was frustrated by his inability to change their minds. I'm trying to do everything I can to change your mind. He's sitting, he's getting very frustrated with these people. And so he said, okay, you do it. You go do it. I'm not going to do it because I can't find anything wrong with it. John tells us that the Jewish authorities replied here in verse 7. He says, we have a law and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. So you now they're trying to do what? Remember their, remember their examination of Jesus was what? Theological. Well, that's not going to hold up in a Roman court, right? That's, that, the Romans is going to say, hey, that's your problem. We're not even going to hear this case. So remember they trumped up charges. They said, hey, he's trying to make himself a king. So now they're making you know, the charges political. So now they're trying to even strengthen their, by saying this, they're trying to strengthen their case even more. Now, this reference, they said we have a law. They're most likely referring to Leviticus 24, uh, verse 16, where it reads, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. <coughs> it's most likely what they are referring to. Now, we saw earlier that Jesus uh, was taken to the Romans with the charge of, of setting himself up as a king. Uh, so therefore, He's a challenge, he's a threat to Rome, to the Caesar. So they claimed it, it was his crime was political. But now, but now they knew that it was not enough to get the Roman governor's attention. Remember, they, it wasn't, wasn't his politics that made him hate him, right? They hated Jesus' theology. Okay? The Jews hated his theology. That's what they couldn't stand. And so now they're trying to trump up the charges. Let's make this even more. Uh, so we can get Pilate to do this for us. However, we see that still didn't work for Pilate. That didn't really work. So now they're saying, okay, we want you to kill him because our law prohibits people from making themselves equal to God. So he should die. And so we want you to do it for us, Pilate. We want you to do it for us. Now this next statement we have from John is a little strange. Verse 8, he says, John tells us, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. Hmm. Pilate was afraid? What, what, is, what is he afraid of? What's Pilate afraid of here? Hmm. Maybe, maybe he was uh, becoming more afraid of the mob. Right? The mob's getting uh, louder. Uh, but maybe it was more than that. One thing to note um, about uh, Roman officials of the day, uh, many of the Roman officials, and Pilate's one of them, were deeply superstitious. Deeply superstitious. Now while the Jews interpreted Jesus' claims, right, to be the Son of God, to be Messianic, uh, to a Roman, to a, to a Greco-Roman like Pilate, a person like Pilate, okay, the title Son of God would place Jesus in the category of divine men to, to, their, to their world. And in their world, these divine men had supernatural powers. So it could be that Pilate was afraid because he just whipped, he scourged and tortured someone who in his mind, maybe in his superstitious mind, could bring down some sort of curse or vengeance on him. 
supernaturally, some sort of magic or something. So it could be, right? could be what made him afraid. Dr. Sproul says, perhaps he realized that he had never encountered a prisoner like Jesus. Then he, when, he, when he heard the Jews say that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, okay, and that's when, when, when they accompany that with the claim, Dr. Sproul says, I, I wonder whether Pilate thought to himself, if this man is the Son of God, I'm in big trouble. Right? If what he's claiming to be is true, I could be in real big trouble. Hmm. Well, uh, to buy time, okay, to buy time, Pilate, we, we learn here in, in verse 9, it says, Pilate went out again in the praetorium, into the praetorium, and said to Jesus, where are you from? Very inquisitive, right? He's, he's afraid. Where are you from? I think, I think that's a genuine question. I think it was, a, it was a, like the question, the, the what is truth, and he walked away, right? He, he didn't really want, to, he didn't want to know the answer to that question. He just asked him, what is truth, and he left, right? But this seems like a legitimate question. This is a real, hey, he comes to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gives what? No answer. <clears throat> the, the Dr. Sproul said that the question that Pilate asks okay, to him indicates to me, and this is Dr. Sproul speaking, to me that Pilate was terrified by the suggestion that Jesus might be more than just a man. Now, John tells us Jesus gave him no answer. Well, when, when Jesus says nothing, well, what, Pilate's already frustrated, right? He's frustrated with the Jews. He's extremely, it's, it's growing with them. So now he, he's frustrated even more. Now he's frustrated with Jesus because he won't give him an answer. And then here in verse 10, he says, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Are you going to answer my question? Do, do you not know that I had the power to crucify you and the power to release you? What's, what's he saying? In other words, what's, what's Pilate saying? You kids can answer this question. What's Pilate saying? What's, what's he saying by asking this? In other words, in a modern vernacular, right? What's he saying? Who's got, who, can, who can come up with this? Put y'all on the spot. Glad to have y'all here, by the way, today. <laughs> Any any guesses? Any check? Any any anything? Well, I thought I, I thought you would get this one easy. But basically, you're saying, "Don't you know who I am?" Have you ever heard somebody say that? Don't you know who I am? Hmm. That's basically what Pilate was saying, saying to Jesus, "Don't you know who I am? Don't you understand what I can do?" Remember, Pilate's the public authority in this case. He's, a, he's, telling, he's telling Jesus, I hold the power over you between life and death. I choose whether you live or die. Don't you know who I am? Hmm. Now, the previous question about where you're from, Jesus did not answer, did he? But when Pilate 
starts talking about authority. Okay, what does Jesus respond? Now he gives an answer, right? Jesus responds with these absolutely amazing words about the source, the true source of authority in this world. Verse 11, it says, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. God in His infinite and all-wise and holy and perfect providence has ordained that Pilate be one of the main actors in this drama. Okay, yes, Pilate in his position as the Roman governor in Judea had real authority, didn't he? Yes, he did. He had real authority. But it was delegated authority. It was delegated authority, right? God had placed Jesus here at this time and in this place and under Pilate's mercy so that what? So that his will would be done. So that God's will would be done. It it was like Jesus was saying this. Pilate, I hear what you're saying. Let me remind you of something. You, Pilate, and your all your position of power, you are nothing but clay in my Father's hands. It has been ordained before the foundation of the world that you would do what you're about to do. Hmm. This, this idea of delegated authority and, and we say this because it's true. All authority, right, in this world is delegated authority, right? Every, you can say it on a human level. We say it this way. Everybody's got a boss. We say that, right? Everybody's got a boss. We can say that in one way, humanly speaking, earthly speaking, right? There's, somebody's got a boss. Somebody's got more power than you, right, in a position, more authority, right? But ultimately, every authority that exists on this planet is delegated from where? From God. God gives it to them because God's the source of all power, all authority. If you're president of the United States, arguably one of the most powerful people in the world, right? True, right? No matter who, no matter who the president is, arguably one of the most powerful people in the world. Where does his authority ultimately come from? Who put him there? Or her? We don't have a her yet, but maybe one day we will. But who put the president there? God did. And he is what? The same way, just like this, he's clay in the Father's hands. The same way. So back to Jesus and Pilate. This thing about um, what Jesus told him about not having any power. Does that mean that Pilate is a puppet? No. Pilate is still acting from his own free will. Okay? And Pilate has a wicked heart doesn't he? He's a fallen human being. He's a, and now what we see right now in this whole circumstance, he's, he's become a slave. Instead of being the Roman governor who's in charge here, he's becoming a slave to public opinion. So Jesus was saying, go ahead. Do what you got to do. 
Because you're doing exactly what my Father has ordained for you to do. Hmm. Now one thing we can see here before we get away from this section, uh, what we see here is an example of the doctrine of what we call concurrence. Okay, the doctrine of concurrence. What does that mean? In simple terms, the doctrine of concurrence means that, um, that God works in and through evil, even the evil actions of fallen man to accomplish his own purposes. Let me read that for you again. The doctrine of concurrence basically says this. God, in his infinite wisdom and, and providence and knowledge and his perfection, he work, God works in and through the evil actions of fallen men to accomplish his purposes. Pilate here, okay, Pilate's intent is what? It's evil, isn't it? Pilate's intent is evil. But in condemning Jesus to death, he does what? He does a great service for the people of God. Well, all, the, the best, we, we know the best example of concurrence, and, and I know the kids know, right? From Genesis 50. Joseph and his brothers, right? I know the kids know the answer to this question. Right? Tell me what happened with Joseph and his brothers. Basically, summarize it. Somebody. One of you. What did Joseph do? And they didn't like that. And they didn't like that? And then what happened? And they tried to kill him. And then he became... But they did what? They sold him slavery, right? Told dad he's dead, right? He's gone. Oh, our problem solved, right? No. What happens later when Joseph meets his brothers many years later? What did Joseph tell them in Genesis 50 about? What they meant. You remember? He says this wonderful statement. He's, he's talk, when he meets his brothers, right, and they realize who he is, he says this. He says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. That's the doctrine of concurrence, isn't it? That is what it means. You, fallen people, you mean evil towards me, but at the same time, God's working it out for good. Now, does that mean that man is not responsible? Absolutely not. I think it was Shane, Shane said it best. Shane Martin, when he was preacher here, he said it many times because he loved the doctrine of God's sovereignty. He says, God is sovereign and man is responsible. That's a, that's a fact, Jack. That is a fact. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. Does that mean just because God's working through this, that Pilate, hey, I just did what I was being made to do. No, man is responsible for his own evil action. So what did, what did Jesus mean uh, when he said this to the, to when he's answering Pilate? The one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. What did he mean? Hmm. Well, okay, first of all, who's he talking about? He says the one who delivered me. Well, we, we can't exactly be sure here, right? I can't exactly be sure who Jesus had in mind here. Was it was it Annas or or was it Caiaphas, right? Or maybe maybe it was Judas, right? We're not. All of them had a role in this, right? All of them had a role in delivering Jesus over to the Romans. So we're not exactly sure which one of those he could have had in mind, but we don't want to miss the idea here of what Jesus says. 
Because Jesus says what? Basically, he refers to something being greater sin. So Jesus is saying there are degrees of wickedness. That's what Jesus is saying. The reality is not all sin is equally heinous. In this case, there was a greater and a lesser sin. Both committed sin, but one was greater, one was lesser. Jesus' point here is the Jews' betrayal of their Messiah, the one who has been prophesied for generations. Their betrayal of Jesus into the hands of the Gentiles was a gross and a heinous crime. The lack of justice, because now he's, he's talking with Pilate. Now the lack of justice, because Pilate's frustrated here, but, but the lack of justice on the behalf of Pilate was also a sin but a lesser degree. The betrayal of Jesus by his own people was the greater sin here. This is Jesus' own words. Jesus, Jesus was not saying that Pilate was guiltless, without blame, without fault. But he did say that Pilate's sin, his, his lack of, of, of exhibiting justice, was not as heinous as the ones who handed him over. Now, before we get too far off this, different degrees of sin, as far as there, there is, how, how many sins does it take to make you guilty before God? How many? One. Does it have to be murder? It can be as simple as lying to your mother and father. Right? A simple little white lie, we call them, right? White lie. One white lie makes you guilty before God forever. Worthy of what? Judgment in hell forever. By Jesus' own words here, some sins are more heinous than others. On the other hand, the one thing, and we're not going to camp out here too long because we don't have time. There's also, because there are different degrees of sin here, guess what? There's also different degrees of reward in heaven for those who love him. We can't stay there too long. We've got to finish up. But that's true. Now, at this point, something changed. Something changed in that moment. The Pilate's having this discussion with Jesus, and Pilate decides that he wants to let Jesus go. Verse 12, he says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So what we can, we can assume here, we can safely presume that, Jesus, excuse me, that Pilate has mentioned his intentions to the crowd. But they still cried for Jesus' death. And they complained here, their accusation here is, If you don't condemn Jesus then you are no friend of Caesar. Well, that, uh, that statement, okay, by, by the Jews is loaded with irony, isn't it? No friend of Caesar? The Jews hated Rome, right? They, 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 hate, they were certainly not friends of Caesar. They hated the Roman occupation. But, so what do they mean by that? What do they mean by friend of Caesar? Well, what we know about this, this, this phrase, friend of 
Caesar. We do know that by AD 75, friend of Caesar, in quotations, was actually a formal title in Roman politics. Uh, by, to be a friend of Caesar gave a, pertin, a person a uh, certain status in the empire. Uh, we're not sure when it became an official title, but some think, some think it, it started or it began uh, around the time of Jesus' trial. Now, so the Jews could have been saying that Pilate, hey buddy, you could lose your status here. You know, this is your, you're a friend of Caesar. You could lose your status if you don't do what we want you to do. So maybe, right? Maybe. I'm not sure. There's another possibility. We know that uh, from the historian Josephus that, that Pilate was tutored by a man named Sejanus. I don't know if I pronounced his name right. But he was very high up in the inner circle of the emperor Tiberius. He was a true friend of Caesar. And in fact, it was his recommendation that gave, that the that, that emperor gave Pilate this position that he has as governor in Judea. So this is, so this is, he's a tutor of, of Pilate. He got in, Pilate, this guy got Pilate the job. Basically, you know, that happens all the time, right? It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Pilate knew somebody, so he got him a job. Well, this guy, this friend of Caesar in AD 31 got in trouble with Caesar. And he ended up, along with his closest friends, being executed by the emperor in AD 31. Now, we don't know exactly when this, 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 when this happened with Jesus and Pilate. Uh, we don't know exactly when Jesus was condemned. Many think that it was A.D. 30, um, but some place it as late as A.D. 33. Can't exactly be sure, right, of the exact year. But let's just imagine for a moment that it was A.D. 31. It may have been that the Jews were saying, hey, remember your buddy who got you the job? If you don't want to end up like him, you better do what we want. Could be, right? We don't know for sure. Could be. Well, the events moved on very quickly from here, John tells us. Verse 13 through 16, it says, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, that saying about friend of Jesus, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. This was the ultimate case of betrayal of the kingdom of God by the ruling class, the officials, the religious officials of the Jews. The ultimate act of betrayal. Pilate presents Jesus. He brings him out again. Shall I crucify your king? He was saying, do you want me to take the chance of executing, of crucifying a man who claims to be your king? Is that what you want me to do? 
And what was their answer? He says, they said, we have no king but Caesar. Now, had they forgotten? Um, they have, obviously. They have the case of amnesia. How their nation was established? The nation of Israel was established as not a monarchy, right? Not a dictatorship. It was established as a theocracy, right? A theocracy was what? God was to be their king. They didn't need a human king. God says, I, I, am, I will be your king. That's how the nation of Israel established. But here again, they have denied God. And as a result, Pilate does what? His, his frustration has grown. He, he capitulates. He gives in. Turns into him. Okay. You get your way. We'll turn Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus, as we said last year in the Apostles' Creed, we said what? Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Indeed, He did. Indeed, Jesus did suffer under Pontius Pilate. But because He suffered under the submission to the will of His Father, right? We can celebrate. When we... We're here on this, this, this in the timeline. This is Good Friday. This is we call now Good Friday, right? This is the Friday before the Passover. When we celebrate Good Friday, we do remember this, and we do get to celebrate, don't we? We get to celebrate, even though we know Jesus suffered. We get to celebrate until He returns again. I'll leave you with a quote here by Matthew Henry, and we'll close because we're out of time. Behold Him. Now that's what. Pilate said, right? Behold the man, right? Behold him and love him. Be still looking unto Jesus. Did their, did their hatred did their hatred sharpen their endeavors against him? The answer is yes, right? And shall not our love for him quicken our endeavors for him and his kingdom? Alright, bell has rung. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. Father, we ask that you bless this time together, bless the hearing and the reading of your word, and we pray that you will um, continue to change us and make us, each one of us, more like Christ for the sake of your kingdom. And Father, as we leave this time and we go into our time of, of worship, Father, we just ask that you bless our time this morning. We pray that our worship, Father, our hymns, our songs, our prayers, uh, the word preached will all be glorified to you and give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.